Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia, and welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here with John Pigeon, as always, and today we are doing one of our favourites, a Q&A. It's going to be a curated list of questions from our community, from both the Facebook page and also my Instagram. John doesn't really, or I mean, he does use Instagram, but are you a fan of the gram? Full disclosure, my marketing expert in my office does my Solvair, Envisage and Personal. Noted. So when you like my stuff, it's actually not you. That's very rude. <laughs> Sometimes it is. On the weekend, it might be me. Okay. Yeah. When you clock on. Yeah, when I clock on. Well, yeah. we have a curated list from both platforms. If you're not part of the My Millennial Money Facebook group, you definitely should be. So jump on in there. But for now, let's jump into this Q&A. All right. What's the first one? The first one, John, I think actually might require a guest, but I'm going to read it out anyway and we can have a little bit of a chat and then we might bring somebody to talk further. Comes from Vanessa McAllister and Vanessa asks, insuring our investment property, what do I need to look out for and where should I start? Mm, That's a very good one. Uh, Vanessa, I think, yeah, as you mentioned, Emily, I think we're going to get uh, Stuart Title Insurance on um, to talk about uh, their experiences and obviously what we need to have as a safeguard. But high level, I think when we're buying a property, we must have insurance. Just like when we buy a car, we need to have car insurance when we buy a house, same thing. So we need to have building insurance and we need to have contents insurance. Now, where this starts to differ is whether it's an investment property or an owner rock. Mm-hmm. So if it's owner rock to start with, we, we must have a building insurance. And I don't know about you, but what I've found in the last maybe 12 months is the banks require a certain level of insurance, but that level has skyrocketed. So your house might be worth, I don't know, let's say 600000 but they want insurance for like 800000 in some cases. Have you found that? I have noticed that they've been quite strict on it because I think of the construction cost increase yes. and prospective continual increase of it, it is common that it's actually insured for more than it's worth, which is a little bit crazy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's also factoring in that there's land value there as well in, mm-hmm. in if you're buying a house. So understanding that you've got to get the required build insurance for the banks if you've got a loan, uh, but also understanding what would it cost to replace your house if it was to burn down, worst case, including uh, removal of everything and and start from scratch. So whatever you're comfortable with, there's, uh, in in your own mind, it's it's going to be different every time, isn't it? So contents is a really hard one and, and uh, I personally don't have a lot of contents. I'm a pretty simple sort of a guy. So I, I might round it out at 
I don't know, 50,000, but yeah. uh, you, you've got to really do a stock take, don't you? Mm. And, and so when I look at it item by item, there's actually a fair bit of money in here. Yes. And if I was to lose all that, how am I going to replace it? So, yeah. And then you've got specified items, haven't you? Like I know that we've got uh, Amy's engagement ring, wedding mm-hmm. ring, et cetera. That's covered specified and so is my beloved bike that I ride. Love it. <laughs> so <laughs> because they are items that uh, are more than, I suppose, the normal uh, excess that they just need to be noted and uh, registered, serial numbers if they need one, etc. So the contents part is often underrated, do you find? Yeah, I was going to say it's funny how our mindset on contents is like, ah, should be right. Like it can't be that much to replace everything and then you actually go through it, particularly for me personally looking at my wardrobe, not that I own a lot of expensive items but I lo- own a lot of, a lot of items. Yeah. Uh, it actually is quite an expensive um, cupboard that I yes. have, yeah. <laughs> you know. So yes. then you think about laptops, TVs, appliances, even the cost of a mattress, like these things all do add up, but it's funny. I, I think it's common that people sort of just go, ah, it'll be right. Like yeah. it's, you know, not that bad. And they they underestimate their level of cover or yeah. what they need to replace. Especially if you've had something for quite a while and it's new for old replacement. Mm-hmm. Like you might've bought a, I don't know, let's say a bed 10 years ago and now to replace the bed to maybe to something that's 2022 version or yes. 20, 2023, we might be asking another five grand or more. Like, so, yeah. Correct. So definitely I think having an insurance broker on board can be mm. an, of an advantage because they know what they're looking for and they've done this over and over again. Yes. The other thing is to touch on is around landlord's insurance as well yes. for um, investment property. So usually you get a combined, well, I know for mine I've got building and landlord under yes. the one umbrella. Mm. Uh I think the important thing to note is what is excluded from landlord insurance. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not an insurance broker, so I can't go through policies and all the yeah, rest of it. Yeah. But there are in certain um, providers of insurance, there are things they will just blanket, they won't cover. No. And then there's caps on certain things as well. Yeah. So I think when you're talking landlord's insurance, the first thing that sticks out to me is rent default. Mm-hmm. I'm not paying my mon- uh, my weekly rent, so we, need to, we may need to claim for that. Um, and, and then... Uh, malicious damage is another one that I would be a no-brainer to include. So if you've got a cheap old nasty policy that doesn't include those two, I'd be looking elsewhere. Yep. Um, and and without promoting anyone, Terry Shear's always been a, a common one in the industry and, and I know does cover a lot of what we need as investors, but there's a lot more out there that are that are running in competition to that. So like anything, we, we go and get three or four quotes and as you said, an insurance broker can can shortlist all that for us like a mortgage broker does for finance. Um, Correct. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I was looking at some home and contents for our house that we've nearly completed um, and I got a quote through a mentioned insurer or not mentioned insurer and online, right? So it came in at I think it was like 2-1. I rang them up to pay. I said, look, this quote expires tomorrow. I want to want to pay for this. Okay, let's run through that quote again. Oh, there's been some changes to the T's and C's and, and this is in, this is out. Uh, we need to redo the quote. Redid the quote, $2,500, $400 more. I said, no. For a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> yes, phone call, correct. I'm paying for your time, am I? <laughs> so any case, uh, long story short, we knocked down a few doors and it was 2-1. We right. got it back to two one. So just be careful that when we're doing online quotes, that um, yeah, we need to, I suppose, navigate through the weeds and and stand your ground. If someone's got a quote and it expires by a certain date, you uh, that should be your quote. 
Yeah, 100%. Don't be afraid to push. Mm, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that helps from the insurance side of things. There are some other things. You, you obviously can get title insurance. Um, so we'll have someone expand on that when they when they come in to elaborate more than um, than us two just having a go. But title insurance may be for something that you you take out as a as a one off, never to pay again. And it might be you you discover that your boundaries out, right? You might be uh, robbed of an extra. 40 square meters of land so you, that's where that insurance policy kicks into play there so but as i said we'll elaborate on that next time for sure we love getting experts in yes we don't know everything no i mean we have a good old chat and we, we like to hypothesize what we might know yeah we, and we don't want to make stuff up do <laughs> no <we>? either <laughs> so next question comes from josh burns and this has been a hot topic recently even playing on my own mind about how to decide whether to buy an investment property for rental or Airbnb. So I assume Josh means long-term rental, you know, set and forget versus Airbnb, which is short-term stay, high turnover. Yes. Rental and potentially maybe more cash flow. Yeah. Interesting one, Josh, and a very common one as well, isn't it? And I think probably sound like broken records here, but I think the key for me is it needs to be a long-term sustainable rental income. So if we're just chasing the high cash flow, short-term rental type scenario, uh, but it doesn't warrant a, a long-term tenant because it's the, that's the type of location it is. It might be a, a summer destination only or something like that, but we can't get anyone in through winter. Uh, we just need to be extremely careful of that. So my message is make sure it's also a long-term rental um, first before going to Airbnb second. But if you can capture a larger amount per night, then it, that's a great bonus. Um, the other part of that is because people are coming and going, they might not be respecting that particular dwelling as much. So you may have more maintenance issues as a result of more foot traffic. The other thing that I don't know how this didn't cross my mind before when I was thinking about investment versus Airbnb you have to deck out the Airbnb. Like yes, you have to furniture. furnish the whole thing. Yeah. And it's not just furniture, it's, you know, all the cutlery and plates yes. and all the rest of it. And when I thought about that, I was like, oh, I actually need a bit of capital to, yes. to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and there are companies who do deck them out and they do styling and all the rest of it, which is great. But you actually, you're at a loss before you've begun, mm. you know, plus your loan repayments and all the rest of it. I think a lot of Airbnb destinations, like you mentioned, holiday towns, maybe they're good for the summer. Um can do well in the peak, but then, you know, you might be let down. I think there's potentially an underrated pocket of every capital, which is where it's just a little bit far from the city, but there's not really like a, a motel that's known in the area. Like it's yeah. a bit more suburba, suburba, yeah. suburban yeah, yeah. and you know, mum and dad might come to visit for a week at a time or maybe there's people who have sold their property and need somewhere to stay before they buy something else. Yes. There could be something in that, but I don't know if it's strong enough to warrant Airbnb over a long term in those sorts of areas. Yeah, that's actually a good point. And, and to the point where in a lot of capital cities, there's just, and even regionals, there's no hotel accommodation or motel or any, any general accommodation. So the, you might be able to clean up in that aspect for a short period of time for sure. So it's just uh, the, the, the emotion of renting out your own home is an interesting one though, isn't it? Like, would you be happy, uh, like you're rent vesting at the moment, yep. but if you bought your own home, would you be comfortable 
renting it out Airbnb style for 12 weeks while you went over to Bali? I think I'd want to like sit down and interview the person. Yeah. <laughs> what are your intentions? Yeah. What will you be doing in my house? Uh, you know, you do become too attached to it because it's yours and it's your things yeah. and you don't want people uh, disrupting neighbours and things no. like that. So you do get a bit more protective. Yeah. And they're, sleep- they're sleeping in your bed. Yeah, which is a bit strange, isn't it? <laughs> That's not ideal. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is a sort of an emotional thing too. Are you prepared to do that? It's not just about the money. It's about the logistics of it. Correct. Um, but from a rental perspective, I think, yeah, the cash flow is seems very attractive and you go to the barbecues and, and oh, yeah, I've airbnb my house and got an extra 10 grand. Well, well, that's all cute. But did we factor in, as you said, the extra furnishing? Did we factor in the maintenance issues, the replacing the knife and fork that someone took out of the house when they left and things like that? Yeah, why do people do weird things? Honestly, <laughs> people do such strange. Like yeah. you like to assume the population has a level of like what's acceptable as normal, but yes. people do some strange things, and I think you'd see it all in the Airbnb industry. Yeah, and that that uh, I suppose you mentioned about the interview, right? Mm. You you probably can't sit down and logistically interview someone, but you can have an Airbnb manager that does that. And I've got good friends of mine do it in Torquay in Victoria and and they do it quite well. Uh, and they do exactly that is they'll, they'll uh, I suppose, shortlist like a good property manager would. So yeah, yeah. I if, if I was airbnb that's definitely what I'd do. Yeah, totally. Mm. Just a bit more than the – because the online profiles as well uh, on Airbnb, I heard of a horror story yeah. where someone – um, posed themselves as like an elderly couple and they had their little profile picture together of yeah. like picture, you know, mid-70s yeah. going for a little adventure and uh, it was actually a group of teenage boys yeah. who rented it out for schoolies. Wow. Yeah, and they came <laughs> they came back to a very damaged property. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got to be careful. Yeah, for sure. So to answer your question, Josh, because we've, we've gone off on yeah. good tangents. Yeah, good tangent. Yeah. Um, but how you would decide, I think it is area-dependent, it's cash flow dependent and it's probably a bit of an emotional decision as well. Yeah, and and I've been on the the other end uh, as in the I'll go and Airbnb a place somewhere when we're on holidays Yeah, where there's a code to get the key, key gets you in the house, put it back when you leave. Like you never actually see anyone mm. who owns the property. Like as an owner, I think that's quite dangerous. As you yeah. said, the, the 18-year-olds rock up for schoolies when you thought it was uh, a 45-year-old couple with two kids. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit, It's not personal and I also think as a consumer, I would prefer to check in if the area had a hotel, somewhere they can hold my bags. Because, yes. you know, checkouts at 10 for Airbnbs usually, what do you do for the rest of the day if you don't have a hire car? Yeah, Just true. the logistical things of amenity, I think, and security yeah. is a bit yeah, better. Yeah. Absolutely. Okie dokie. Jonah David asks, what are the downsides or key considerations in trying to pay off your investment property home loan too quickly? Only other debt is hex debt and long-term goal is to be debt-free. So I guess Jonah's asking, is there a downside to paying off the loan fast? What do you think? Oh, good question. Uh, I think generally speaking, we want to pay down our debt over the journey, whether that's debt from investment, debt from our owner, rock, any debt right? We want to go into our lifestyle phase, which is, is retirement with no debt or very little debt or manageable debt that's going to be positive cash flow for our uh, our retirement. So I think, Jonah, the thing to consider or two things I would say is, are we looking to do any further investing? Mm-hmm. Do we want to upgrade our owner rock? Do we want an owner rock if we're a rent investor? Uh, or is this just it for us? 
Okay, and if it is just it, then there is a lot of merit to continue to pay down that particular mortgage. However, the second part of that is if I pay it down too much, is that a problem? Well, the problem is the cash flow from that particular rental, we might end up starting to pay tax on, which is almost the reverse effect of what we set out to do in the first place, um, which was get some tax benefits. Now, it's not the whole, whole strategy, but it's a part of uh, what we do as as uh, property investors. So I think it's just that navigating that fine line between paying down some of it so that we're, it's not crippling us with debt, but not paying it down too much um, and maybe chatting to your accountant about where that fine line is. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Because if it was straight cash flow, like say you had minimal interest repayments left on it, then yeah, you're effectively that's an income for you that's could be quite substantial. Yeah, uh, which is great in retirement. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's the other thing, isn't it? Stage of life as to yeah. when that might suit. And as you uh, alluded to as well, what's what are your other plans? Do you want to buy another investment property? Yeah. Because that could also play into the long-term goal. Uh, but yeah, I think I do agree with you. I wouldn't want to pay it all off mm. like and just that be my goal. Because also I think in order to do that, depending on the loan size and repayments, you could be really compromising your lifestyle at the time. Yeah. And I'm all for a level of balance. Yeah. So I, I don't know about you, more about the long-term journey of I wouldn't want to live frugal for, you know, six, no. seven years just to put all my money into that. Yeah. So Jonah sounds young. Uh, so Jonah, I think, understand what your next 10 to 15 years look like, not just the next one or two years or not just that focus on getting rid of debt because I don't like debt. And I think it's it's very easy to do is like we see a debt, we see a balance there on our statement or online and think, oh, I just need to get that down. But for what reason? We just need to think logically and say, well, as you mentioned, Emily, like money to put towards lifestyle, uh, even just, and, and a lot of investment loans don't come with offset accounts. So I get that, but there are some that do. So is it okay to just sit it in an offset account or, or start investing in other assets that might not be property necessarily, dare I say, it, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, have a debt that's comfortable, that's giving you a positive cash flow, but not um, costing you more money through through tax. Yeah, that makes sense. Hopefully that helps you, Jonah. Yeah, go for it, Jonah. Now we'll take a quick break and we've got some more questions. We'll go through a couple more Facebook ones and I'll throw in some Instagram ones as well. We'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Alison Giles. I went to school with Alison Giles. Wow. Yep. And she's popped up in the Facebook group, which makes my little heart sing. Yes. So Alison has asked, and this would be very interesting for a lot of people who have temporary situations. Okay. So if that's you, listen in. The cost or benefit of short-term rentals, and we're not, I mean, it is sort of Airbnb in a way, but she's saying renting out my primary place of residence for four to six months whilst working in another city temporarily and pay for furniture, storage, property management fees, insurance. So it actually sounds like Alison's thinking of vacating, getting a proper tenant in um, and, you know, extra insurances and the setup. Would that outweigh the benefit for such a short period of time? So what's she saying? So she's basically saying she needs to go to another state for six months. Yes. What does she do with her PPR in the meantime? Should yes. she vacate it all? Yes, okay. And get a tenant yeah. in? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, if you know Emily, you get uh, put up the pecking order for your question to be read out. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely not true. <laughs> no. No, it's not. Um, okay. Great question, Alison. I-, I think is there a third option and we'll get to the the options that you've presented there for the minute, but can we can we actually Airbnb it for that period of time? Is there a demand for that based on where you're living and are you comfortable doing that because you're happy with someone to live in your house using your furniture? Um, you might have already eroded that option because you're not comfortable with it, so I get that. Um, I think getting out of your house, putting your, your stuff in storage, what's that cost? And not necessarily the dollar cost but the – logistical mental space that takes up your life right yeah. now. We we did put some stuff in storage um, through the build and I think it was like 250 a month. So it's not going to break the bank to do that mm-hmm. and you can get a removalist to do that for you but it's packing it up and doing all that. So yeah. I don't know. Let's say it costs for six months, uh, let's say 300 a month, 1800 plus another a grand to move. Let, let's say it costs you four grand. Mm-hmm. Your income through that period we is varied based on where you live and what you think you could get for it. Um, I don't know, like five hundred a week, six months, thirty grand. It's a it's a it's a fair chunk that you've got to consider if you're already like you're getting income elsewhere and you you may it may cost you nothing to live wherever you're moving to for that six month period for work. I don't know. Well, that's the other thing I was just thinking. Another alternative. There are a lot of sites where they have registered house sitters. Yes. And you could swap. You could even do a swap. Swapski. Yep. You could be in someone else's house. They could be in yours. Yeah. Your cost is both the same really and you just pay the bills while you're there. Yeah. Uh, and then that way you've got someone looking after your property because that's the other thing. I wouldn't want to leave my home vacant for six months. No. Uh, I'd want someone to go in and check check on it, mow the lawns, grab the post, all the rest of it. Yeah. So maybe there is a happy medium of jumping on one of those sites where you can actually do a swap for yes. a period of time. I actually did a clarity call with uh, a couple that have been house-sitting for like 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty That's cool. Solid. Like she 
was a house sitter when she met her partner and her partner's like, I'm full on board with this stuff because (laughs) I get to live somewhere and experience it and then move out and then try another area and and really cool and it's worked really well for them. The bonus was they can save a massive amount of money because they're just house sitting and lawns and, as you said, like general upkeep and safety. Other thing to mention, usually in insurance policies, if it's vacant for more than six months, mm. it's not your insurance isn't valid either. There you go. So that's just that fine line of um, period. Just check your policies on that. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good one. It's um, yeah. Sometimes it's what can make you the more money might not be the best decision for you because of the the heartache. Correct. Mm. Yeah. Well, good luck when you do move, Alison. And I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who do have jobs where they see themselves, maybe a placement even in medical or health where they're, you know, somewhere for 12 weeks or 20 weeks at a time. So, yeah, I'm sure that does take a toll after a while, chopping and changing. Does Um, does she know someone that wants to live in their house, her house for a period of time? Yeah, well, that would be good, wouldn't it? Mm. If it's a known person, that's probably ideal. Next best to that is probably a house here that's got good references. Yeah. Yeah. Okie dokie. Question from Amy Carswell. Amy has asked, how to decide between the two? Option one, moving cities to live in your first property for 12 months for CGT and grant purposes. So assuming buying their first property, not in the current state that they live in. Uh, And then option two, having your first property as an investment property straight away and rent vesting. Willing but not overly keen to relocate, so I'm curious about whether the financial benefits of living in the property for 12 months could be worth this sacrifice. Now, we've had this question asked before but in a different way. Mm. The element that's different in this question is moving states for the first property. So maybe I can only assume Amy's maybe priced out of the market where she is. Yeah, so she's basically saying, and and good name, Amy, by the way, (laughs) Um, (laughs) basically saying we're moving into state to take advantage of the first homeowner's concessions. Is that correct? what we're hearing? And CGT benefits. Yeah. So check with your accountant on the whole CGT stuff, but you'll have a six-year exemption if you move out of it and don't claim another property as your principal place. Um, look, and I'm, a, I'm just making ages up here, but if you're in your 20s and, and you want a, a tree change and you want to go into state, why not? To a, to a cheaper area um, if, you, if you're up for that. And as I said, after 12 months, you can then decide what you want to do. If you want to stay there or, or rent, who, who knows? I think the first homeowner benefits, as we've mentioned previously on the show, uh, aren't as attractive as they were and the thresholds uh, um, aren't quite fair at the minute. So yes, not sure. Need some review. Yeah. So I'm not sure where she's intending to do this, but, um, but just – understand what you can get for underneath the threshold. Yeah, correct. And maybe, you know, some states are more attractive than others. We did an episode and we broke down every single state and what is currently uh, available for concessions and exemptions. So go back and have a little look if you haven't already listened. But yeah, this is interesting. I've never heard of someone asking specifically about moving the city to obtain the benefit, but it makes sense. If you've got the flexibility, Mm. why not? Yeah, I actually... Again, had a call with someone a few weeks ago on this where the first homeowner concession was five fifty as a cap. Yep. And they were wondering whether it was more beneficial to go to six hundred, mm-hmm. which then the stamp duties 
kicked in, but it wasn't the full amount of stamp. Um, and it worked out at like another 10 grand in stamp duty as opposed to paying no stamp duty. For me, we've got to assess the 600K asset and the long-term performance of that versus what we're getting at 550. That might mean a larger block. It might mean a better conditioned house that we don't need to apply maintenance issues to. So, yeah, it's, it's again, not just about the dollar, is it, or what we're saving, but what we can actually make. Correct. Mm. Okay. So I'm not sure of the official name, but the username on Instagram is Mama Burns. Right. Mama Burns. Mama Burns. Asks, you talk about A, B and C property class types. If you can't afford the A location and the size, what are the best qualities to look for in B and C grade properties for growth? Oh, very good. Yes. And a very realistic question too, because not everybody can get an A grade property. No. Can they? I mean, we all strive for that. Yes. Yeah. Now- yeah, great question. Um, I think the A-grade properties or the, the there are more A-grade locations, I suppose. They're, they're the what we call blue chip and they're in the best part of town generally. They're the most expensive and they're the home that we want to spend the next 20 years or so. Um, bring up a family if we want one or just living living our life in that nice area. So if we can't afford that and usually our first property is not that mm. unless we're gifted money or gifted a house, uh, we need to climb the ladder, so to speak. So I classify the C grades, first of all, as uh, little stepping stones. So they might be high cash flow properties or add value properties or uh, development properties where they might be more short-term holds, but they cash inject our um, finances to upgrade to that better location. The B grades are that middle suburbia. And they're right next to blue chip properties or blue chip mm-hmm. regions. So what are we looking for? Well, we're, we're just looking down the pecking order to that middle suburbia that we can actually afford and handle the repayments on if we're, if we're going to live in it. So uh, I don't think there's anything in particular from an asset point of view other than the fact that the land value is the, is the key component. One thing I would add or where my mind goes to in those levels is often around the street within the area. So a lot of people avoid main road addresses because historically they don't perform really well. People are adverse to main road addresses. So if you're looking at a B or C grade potential area as such in comparison to A grade blue chip, it would be to try and get the best of that class. Mm. And if you can... And apartments are an exception because so many apartment blocks actually have a main road address. I'm talking about a house and land. You probably don't want a highway address. No. You know. No. Although, like, I agree totally and I I would follow that rule. It's relative in price, isn't it? Correct. So it's cheaper. It's the bottom end of town or that suburb because it is so busy and less desirable. Yes. So do we go something that's unrenovated? worst house, best street type scenario. Mm-hmm. And and in these times, it's extremely beneficial to do that because of the cost of materials and trades and all those things. Yeah, worst house, best street. I don't know if we can come back too much from a worst house, worst street scenario though. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Well, you've got, the, you've got the value add, but I do think they sit on market a lot longer. They take more convincing. They have to be priced competitively. Yes. 
that sort of thing. It has to be a pretty nice house for someone to want to spend good dollars on a main road address. Yeah, totally. And in the last probably 12 to 18 months where a lot of areas were booming, mm. people might have been, uh, I suppose, open to buying those types of things because that's all they could get in a moving market. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, well, yeah, we're in with that, so we'll take it. Yeah. Whereas in a more stabilised or even a sloping downwards market, they're a lot harder to sell. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, understand the market you're in. But, yeah, I think um, the B grades I love are just uh, you might see and, and I see situations a lot where we're investing is like the, the B grade properties or the B grade suburbs in some cases 150, 200K less than the suburb closer into town that's considered a blue chip, mm. right? And we've all got our emotions around what we know is a good suburb versus what we don't think is a good suburb. And and I think the value is in where a lot of people think that this suburb's not the right pl- place to live in but can soon regentrify. Yeah, correct. And usually what we liken to the poorer cousin at the time. Poor cousin. Yeah. 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 So Camilla has come through Instagram and Camilla asks things to consider buying post-separation. For example, I can't buy as my ex still has a right to a new house. So things we need to think about when we're entering the property market again, Mm. potentially, you know, well, maybe obviously on our own or with a new partner after we've divorced. Yeah. First of all, sorry to hear that, Camilla, but I think the first thing to consider there is if if there, there is that period where as you said, the ex has access to the new house because they're still winding up uh, and and divvying up the the assets, then we've just got to weigh that period out. So that might mean sitting out of the market for 12 months or however long it takes, but talk to your solicitor about the the pros and cons of that and maybe the time periods um, to, to know that you're in the, in the clear there. And it's probably a time where it's a, it's the emotions of life kicking in now. It's like, well, hang on, I've got a my life's either been turned upside down or it's very different to what it was. So maybe it's time just to take stock and say, well, okay, what are my values and what do I what do I stand for in life? Mm. Right? What do I enjoy? 100%. Yeah, I think the other thing that comes into it um, is, well, if you're married with kids, it can be location around what matters most to them, particularly when they're young. You know, a lot of families, they make sure that they repurchase or they rent somewhere that's neighbouring each other or near each other, which can be difficult. I mean, obviously circumstances depends how it all unfolded and if you're amicable or you don't want to see the side of each other, who knows. But uh, I think kids come into play a lot with schooling and their friends and what they know and having a community around them. So that can actually dictate where you might land. Yeah, totally. And and I suppose... Uh, been shouldering people who have been through that in the past, it can easily be a selfish approach to life because of what's just happened. Okay, yes. and not saying this is definitely by by any means, but you're right. The kids come first if mm. there are kids involved in this whole situation. So, what's going to be best for them? Not necessarily what's going to be best for you in the short term to make that work and and stand your ground on your as, as I said your values. So, yeah, it. Don't be don't be putting too much pressure on yourself to to get back into the market in the next twelve months because it's it's a part of your life that you've just got to put on hold until you've got some real clarity around what it is that you want. Definitely, and you might have been used to being a homeowner and paying down that mortgage together, but when you go to a solo income, potentially you might not actually be able to afford 
where you were living no. uh, on your own. So don't be afraid to explore options like rent vesting that you still have money working for you in other ways yeah. uh, once you've sort of, you know, found your feet again and, and got your uh, ducks in, in a row and then reconsider what the next purchase might look like if any purchase at all. Yeah, 100%. And, and if it isn't all finalised, which it sound like, sounds like it isn't, mm. then it would be foolish to do anything anyway because you don't know the whole fallout, like how much money is coming in, is there any money, like what's my income going to be post – Settlement, all those Correct. sort of things. Yeah, Indeed. So let the dust settle a bit, Camilla. For sure. Hopefully that has helped. Mm. Bit of variety in those questions today. There was. We've gone yeah. all sorts. Absolutely. Made us think, uh, which is which is always good. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you feel as though you like what you're hearing, then feel free to give us a, a good rating. Five yeah, a little, a little Christmas present. <laughs> a Christmas present. A five <laughs> would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but if you don't like us, then, yeah, just don't listen. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty clear cut. <laughs> yeah, but uh, as always, appreciate you tuning in and uh, until next time, we will talk soon. Indeed. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.